gives that through, through tongues and interpretation, or again, what we call prophecy that encourages us. Then there's also with that word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. That's an action that God is taking, and he speaks something out. He speaks knowledge to the people so that they have faith to, to know that he's about to do this. And so that's what we transition to, uh, uh, a word of knowledge. And someone might say, I believe God wants to heal a back. God wants to uh, heal a broken heart. God wants to, or like we had here, God wants those who feel insignificant or not worthy to know they can. He's moving right now in that thing. And so when we exercise and move in these spiritual giftings, it builds our faith and builds us up as a people. Amen? Amen. All right, so these are spiritual exercises we want to walk in. Tonight I want to bring you a teaching before we go into some, uh, a workshop setting to continue to learn to pray and to press forward. If you will, you have an outline tonight that I've given you, and we're in this series called ID Me, and that means identify me, Lord. And so to identify us, we want to see I want to share with you tonight that which it means to be clothed in Christ, your identity. Clothed in Christ tonight, we want to share this with you. On your outline, I've put a number of scriptures, so please follow along. First of all, I want to take you as far as being clothed to the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and it says this about Adam and Eve, God's creation of man. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They had no shame with each other and they had no shame with God. They, they had relationship with God. And some have speculated how could they have no shame, no embarrassment. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty natural to walk around the way God created you. There's no other way to know that and to know him as your father. But something happened in the fall. We see that they became ashamed. So something must have happened. And read Genesis 2.17. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will surely die. So something happened when they ate that fruit. It says they would die. Now, death in its simplest definition is separation. Separation from life. Okay? That's what death is. Death, death doesn't exist unless there's life. Death is not the opposite. It's the absence. So something happened in them that separated them from life. And that would be God. They died spiritually when they took of that fruit. Now, Something, caused, something created a problem for them. And in Genesis 3-7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So this is, a, this is something spiritual. This is something of an awareness. It says their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked or bare. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Huh? How about that? Now, you've got to ask yourselves, what were, they, what were they trying to cover? That they were naked? What does that mean? Naked where? Naked from the waist up? Naked ankles? Naked wrists? What do they know about naked? Naked private parts? What do they know that's different in a private part than a wrist or an ankle or a foot? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I mean, so what does that mean that they were naked? So they hid, they were naked, so they wanted to cover. So the point is this, some kind of covering left them. Their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. Some kind of covering left them. Listen to what Adam says in Genesis 3.21. I'm sorry, Genesis 3.7. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And Adam said this, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what did he hide? Who did he hide from? God. So being naked... He was afraid of whom? God. Why would he be afraid of God? Would God say, put your pants on, Adam? He never had pants. Some kind of covering, some kind of death took place. Remember, death is separation from life. He felt estranged from God. And now, instead of love, he felt what? Fear. I'm afraid. I was afraid of you, so I what? Hid. I have to hide from you. I'm afraid of you. There's a separation right there. There's a separation. Now, shame, guilt, because they disobeyed, right? But so the covering had left. Some would speculate that since God made a covering for them, that in this, Psalm 8, verse 5, it says, You made him, man, mankind, man and woman, a little lower than the heavenly angels, than the, uh, the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. I don't think that's just an analogy or some kind of a phrase to say how great they were. But many speculate that in the creation, Adam and Eve were crowned, and that word crown means to surround, to envelop. To crown something means to encircle it. And so that there was this circle of glory and honor upon them. So that being naked, they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed with God. They were not fearful of God. That His glory could be with them, and they had no distinction of being other from Him. They weren't afraid of Him. They were with Him because they participated in His glory and in His honor, in His covering. They were in right relationship. But as soon as something broke, they died because they ate of that thing. They were separated from God because they disobeyed Him. They became naked, ashamed, and afraid of Him. And again, I don't think that naked and afraid was, you know, uh, my private parts are showing Because again, they're the very first things created. There's nothing to be ashamed of with that with God. They were naked in their sin. They wanted to hide from the fact that they had rebelled. Maybe if He doesn't see me, He won't know. Where are you, Adam? Adam... Did God know where Adam was? I mean, really. We've got a problem right at the beginning if God can't find Adam. Anybody seen Adam? I don't know what to do. Where is he? We lost him already. 
He knew where Adam was, but he wanted a response from Adam, didn't he? But Adam didn't want to give it. So the point being is there was some kind of a covering that was in right relationship with God that was lost, and now there was nakedness before God. How many of you have felt naked before God? Right? And I'm not talking about, you know, after you get out of the shower. I'm talking about, man, he knows my thoughts, the intentions of my heart. He knows everything. How many of you tried to fool God? Because you're so busy trying to fool yourself too, right? We justify, oh, I didn't really want to do that. No, I really didn't, God. You, you know my heart. And he's like, yeah, hello, where are you at? We keep hiding, justifying. So I want to show you that there was some kind of a covering. In fact, so what happened, because they're ashamed now, God still wants to have a relationship with them. They're afraid of God because they're naked. No, they rebelled. So what did God do? God made a covering for them. And in fact, the definition of the word atonement means to cover. God atoned for their sin. God covered them in their nakedness so that they could do what? What? Why did God kill an animal? I mean, the fig leaves, they had fig leaves. Wouldn't that work? They covered them. It covered their nakedness. It didn't cover their sin. You see, it was deeper than that, and they couldn't comprehend it. Maybe if we cover up, we could be like God, and He'd like us again. And it was like, man, those leaves don't work. So he had to kill the animal. He killed the innocent one and shed the blood. It's the first death on planet Earth. He kills the innocent animal for their sin, and he covers them. Why did God cover Adam and Eve? Were they embarrassed of each other? No. They're the only two on Earth. He covered them so they could what? Be in relationship with God. Atonement. I will cover you. And it began the process by which when we estrange ourselves from God, when we separate from His life and bring death into our lives, He brings the sacrifice to cover and to atone so that He maintains a relationship. How many times have we messed up our relationship with Him and He's the one come looking for us? But we believe the devil and our own self trying to hide from Him. I don't know how many people have left the church because of sin and failure and they're ashamed to come back in because they're afraid God you know, just won't accept them. Well, What do you think? God lives here? He's with you wherever you are. And He's just begging, where are you? Where are you? Tom? Pam, Joy, come on, come back home. I can cover this. I got this one. I got this covered. But the enemy loves to accuse and shame so that we always run away and hide. Always run away and hide. Some of you are still running running away and hiding. You always wanted your father's approval. Always wanted your mother's approval. And we run away and hide, and we run and try. I don't need them, and we cut them out, you know? The ultimate approval is God, and God said, I can cover you on this. And so he made a sacrifice to cover them. Now, that's what atonement is, okay? So follow with me. 
Uh, we've learned so far that they had a covering, they lost it. God now provides a covering. So come all the way now, thousands of years later, and what do we see at the cross? Jesus Christ. We see the beginning of the animal sacrifice, the innocent blood shed for the guilty one. And in that is a picture of what God was ultimately going to do. Because the blood of goats and bulls and lambs couldn't cover the depth of our own depravity. Those are just animals. And uh, we needed something to go far deeper than that. And so God became a man and He put on flesh and His blood was pure because of the virgin birth. He bypassed the curse of Adam. And now he comes to be the sacrifice. To do what? Cover our rebellion and death and separation from God. Everything else was just a picture of what he was going to accomplish. So, but something happened at the cross, which is interesting. Look at John 19, 23. It's on your outline. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier. All right, somebody do the math. How many soldiers would there be then? Huh? Four. Very good. You did good. All right. Divided his clothes into four parts, and they each got one. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. So how many parts did each get there? Oh, one part for each soldier. That equals four soldiers. At the foot of the cross, at least, Okay. Now, according to Roman law, it was their right to divvy up whatever the criminal had, and they would divide it up. So they divide Jesus' clothes up into four parts. So he probably had a sash or a belt. I'll take that. I could use a new one of those. Probably his sandals. I like the sandals of that guy. I'll take his sandals. Probably a, an outer garment, uh, a tunic, you know. Maybe some headgear. I don't know what else he might have had on. But there were four things they divided up equally. But then they had a problem. It says, then after that, it says that each soldier, one part for each soldier, then it adds also his tunic. That's the fifth part. There's a fifth part. He had a tunic. So, John, what's so important about this tunic? But the tunic was seamless. Woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, hey, let us not tear this apart, but let's, ca let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. John then goes on and says, this was to fulfill the scripture in Psalm 22 verse 18 that says, they divided his garments among them and for my clothing they cast their lots. Come on, that is crazy. King David wrote that a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And these were not Jews saying, hey, fellas, let's get together to fulfill this prophecy. These were Romans who had no clue what Psalm 22 prophesied. They got together and said, hey, let's divvy up these clothes, not even knowing God had through the corridor of time seen this, saw this taking place. David is writing it, the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and he's saying they're going to divide his garments up. And then they're going to roll some dice or cast lots for the last piece of his garment. And that's what they did. And John says, that's what they did. That's pre-written history. That's prophecy to the nth degree. That's amazing. Take that one prophecy and have it fulfilled in someone's life. Pretty awesome. 
Take eight of them. Pretty awesome. Take 50 at the cross alone. Fulfilled prophecies in that last week. And that's out of this world. Because it came from God. <laughs> All right, so they're casting lots. But there's, why does John tell us? What's the big deal? So, okay, okay, Pastor, great. You had a, you had a nice garment there. Good. So what's the big deal? Why does he point out it was seamless? What does that mean, seamless? I was waiting for that. So it wasn't sewn together. It wasn't pieced together. How was it made? Woven. One tube. The original tube top. It was strengthened around the neck so it would not tear. And it was made by one singular piece openings on each side so the arms could go through so what well there's another fellow that would wear a seamless tunic that was the high priest the high priest also had a tunic according to exodus that he wore a seamless garment underneath the ephod that he had and the high priest would wear this priestly garment John is letting us know that Jesus wore one. What's the significance? Here is the high priest of all high priests that is mediating literally between God and mankind, and he's wearing the clothes of a high priest, a seamless garment. It just so happens that because they were fulfilling prophecy and dividing it up and casting lots for this tunic, it became something important in history and in the gospel for us to understand that Jesus is a high priest, the high priest of all high priests, not elected by Israel, but elected by God. Not just for Israel, but for Israel and all mankind as the high priest. It's a seamless garment. It doesn't rip. It's not pieced together. The seam doesn't come undone. It's perfect. And nothing can penetrate against it. That's the ministry of our high priest. It's seamless. It's perfect. Nothing gets away from Jesus. There's no need that gets overlooked or passed by. There's no strain on this garment that it will not stretch and cover. There's no sin that it won't touch. It's a seamless garment. So the high priest wore the same. So they cast it apart. They divided it. And supposedly this is it. In Germany, they have in a cathedral what they believe is Jesus' seamless garment. And that's supposed to be the relic of it. That's it. How do we know that's Jesus' seamless garment? We have no clue. Came about by most of these in the 300s. Constantine's mother, Helena, went, you know, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but Constantine became a Christian, uh, emperor of Rome, uh, had a vision of the cross and, and believed in Jesus. Then his mother was a believer and he sent her out. She went to Jerusalem and started building cathedrals on where they thought the, the tomb where Jesus died was. And then they built a cathedral on the birth of the nativity where they believed Jesus was born. They had no clue by 300 AD, but they're just figuring it out. And she's collecting things. And, and so she visits Jerusalem and, and she comes back home with, guess what? 
hey, Jesus is a seamless tunic. She also came home with what's believed to be the original cross and everything else. I'm, I'm imagining that there's guys over in Israel selling her all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, we got one of those. You won't believe what I got in my back room. Do we need to have it as a relic? Do we need that garment? No, we don't need it. If it is, I don't know. People make a pilgrimage there. But it, it helps you understand, you know, that's what we're talking about. It would have been over his, underneath his outer robe, and it would have been seamless, and it's perfect. And so, what am I getting at? Let's go back to the beginning. There's a garment, there's a covering, there's a, there's a covering that was on Adam and Eve. There's a covering that Jesus had that was seamless and without any ruining. And in fact, He is that sacrifice that covers for what Adam and Eve was a picture of. And so I'm saying all of this for one thing. That seamless garment is a picture of what Christ did for us. He has covered us in His righteousness. And that righteousness is seamless. What is the importance of that? I didn't know the importance of that till one day when I had a word of knowledge praying for someone. And as I was praying for them and praying for the Lord to minister unto them in their brokenness, I blurted out, and God is putting a garment over you that is seamless. The enemy cannot penetrate, and God will not lose you. And I thought, where'd that come from? I never heard that before. And it caused me to really begin to consider the seamless garment of Jesus and the sinless perfection. So we're talking about our identity in Christ. And so our identity in Christ is this, that in the natural there was a seamless garment He wore, but in the spirit realm, that's what He has put on you. A garment that's seamless. It, it, it can't be taken apart. You, you can't figure out what's the beginning and what's the end. His righteousness purely covers you. And Paul begins to talk about this covering. In fact, I love this in the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 22. When the prodigal son realizes in the pigsty he had it better at his father's house, I should go there and get back home, even if I'm just a servant and I don't deserve to go back. But what did the father do? My son, he ran to him, right? Wouldn't it have been simpler for the prodigal to say, I'm ashamed, I shouldn't go back? You know there'd be the devil whispering in his ears, you're not wanted there. You shouldn't go back. Run away and hide. But he was so broken, he went back to his father. His father ran to him, and the first thing his father said was this, put on him the robe. Why? Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Why? Why? I would say, son, take a shower. You stinketh. The boy's been in the pigsty, okay? He's been eating with the pigs. But that's not the father's heart. In fact, the one thing the father did first is covered him. Do you understand that the first thing God did for you was covered you? Oh, if we could evangelize like that. But you know how we evangelize? You're a sinner and God doesn't like you. God doesn't like that sin. Stop sinning and maybe God will receive you. Is that what God does? God says, come here. 
you stinky, smelly thing, come here. Come here, son. Come here, daughter. That's my boy. Angels, cover him. His blood immediately covers. So the father covered his odor, covered his stench, covered the slop, and covered him immediately, immediately with the best robe. What's the best robe of heaven? Jesus. It's seamless. It's perfect. It's the blood. And he covered us. There is no one here. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, there is nothing showing to him that needs to be fixed before he'll love you. It's seamless. It's perfect. You are covered in him. Once you are covered, then he'll worry about the cleaning. I love that. That's the grace of the gospel. We tend to want to clean him first, don't we? You ever try and clean a fish before you caught it? You can't. But that's the church. Bad, 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 bad. You're bad. You're not right. You're wrong with God. You're not right. Hello? Everyone is! And guess what? They all know it. What if we said, come unto Him, everyone that's burdened, heavy laden, and He'll cover you. Come. No matter what your sin is, no matter what your failure is, come on. He will cover you first. He will cover you and secure you in Himself first. Then we'll talk about what He wants to approach next in your life, but only out of the security of His love. Do you ever have one of your kids, I don't know if some of you have any kids, uh, and they fall, they scrape their face, they got blood, they got blood on their arm, or this or that. Ah, They're crying, right? Ah, You want to pick them up? I ain't picking you up. You're messy. Stop crying. go Go get cleaned up. They don't know how. They don't know how to clean. A little two-year-old doesn't know how to clean the blood off their arm and on their hands, and they're crying. <laughs> now, your nose is running. I ain't picking you up. All that snot on there. Isn't that stupid? But yet, that's how we portray God to sinners. Clean your act up, and he'll maybe accept you. No, 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 they can't. They don't know how. That's why they're in the condition they're in. They have no clue. So the first thing he does is cover us. Our identity is we're covered. If if I could get this across to all of us, why does anyone in this place feel shame and guilt? Well, I failed him. Yeah, but you're covered. First of all, you're covered. Come to this covering. We'll deal with the other issue. Now, listen to this. Galatians 3.27 For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Seamless garment. You see, because if we begin to say, I'm not good enough for God. I know He saved me, but I'm not clean enough. I know He he bought me with His blood, and I know He died on the cross for me, but I'm just not behaving myself well enough. Oh, yes, that's right. You're a better judge than God is. Your morality is greater than God's. You don't, you, listen, if you think that one thing you're struggling with is, is the whole of your sin, do you know what he's looking at in you? That's the tip of the iceberg. 
Come on, if you think that one habitual sin is the problem, I'm not trying to give you an excuse for sin. I'm trying to get you a remedy for it. And you'll never find the remedy for sin if shame and guilt is the false remedy. Your shame and guilt will never cleanse you from your sin. Your penance will never do a thing for you for your sin. Only the covering of His blood is what cleanses you from sin. So run to Him. Run to Him. He's your covering. Now, Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, if I continually identify myself as clothed in Jesus, I don't want to get these clothes dirty. Cost Him everything. I like what I'm wearing. How many of you ever put on something nice and clean and then you, you know, your first bite of food is... All my stains are right about here. There's a little bit of a protrusion. I don't know why. It just, it's always right here. I don't get anything over here. Boop. I'm not going to ask where you get your stains. But when you really identify with I'm covered in Christ, knowing my security and knowing my identity that I'm covered, that then causes me to decide how to live. But if you're always in a repeating pattern of shame and guilt, you're never having the sense of I'm better than that. Does that make sense? So understand you're covered tonight in the glory of God. Covered as good as Adam and Eve ever were, you've got the covering of Christ Himself. Well, let's go on. There's more. Ephesians 4, 22, 24. Uh, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. He's talking about getting dressed. Wearing the garments of Christ. It's beautiful. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you put on, and in the Greek that means to clothe, you clothed yourself in the new self who is being renewed to a knowledge, a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. God created you. I am now standing as a new creation clothed in Jesus. Begin identifying yourself in Christ. We've got to get past this. Many of you just identify yourself as a sinner saved by grace. You've got to get past that. You're no longer a sinner. Identify yourself as a saint covered in the clothing of Christ. You see the two? The one who is just a sinner saved by grace till the next sin. And i got to clean my act. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Next sin. I'm sorry. It's a treadmill of defeat. But to be covered in Christ and know I am a creation of Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm a son of God. He put this robe on me. I'm going to wear it and I'm going to wear it nice. It's pure. It's seamless. It covers me. Everything. It covers your past. covers your shame. covers everything. How many of you did stupid things a long time ago? All right. How many of you did stupid things yesterday? Okay. Covered. Covered. 
Oh, pastor, that's dangerous teaching because that means sloppy grace. No, it doesn't mean sloppy grace. It means, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, God. I'm going to live unto the covering I have. I'm going to live in my identity of who I am. That's what he's talking about. We got more. Titus 2.10, and do not steal from them, but show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That's the NIV. I, I like that translation. See, do you see that in every one of these where he's talking about wearing the garments of Christ, how it combats the sin? Did you see he says, put on Christ, man, wear that garment of Christ. When you're wearing that garment, you're not going to lie to each other. When you wear that garment, you're not going to steal. When you wear that garment, you're not going to do those things. Why? Because I'm dressed like Jesus. I'm going to act like Him. Put your fancy clothes on you. You act all fancy. I look pretty good. I like this where he says, when you have Christ, you're clothed in Christ. Make Him attractive. I'm wearing Jesus. What do you think? How many of you Look good in Jesus. You're on a runway. You're all runway models. There's a world as your audience. How's it look? How's it looking? See, it's not about me. It's not about my abilities of good behavior. It's I'm wearing Jesus. If there's anything good about me, anything laudable, if there's anything that you find attractive in me, anything that you think is honorable, it's Him. I'm wearing Him. He lets me wear Him. Looks good. He looks good on you. Honestly, if you didn't have Jesus on, most of you is ugly. I'm just speaking it. Without me wearing Jesus... I'm ugly. I am selfish, self-centered, crabby. I'm, ooh. I don't like me. I've been with me too long. I like him. I like his clothes. This seamless garment on me, man, I like that. That's your identity. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's attractive. You know the whole reason... I was talking about this a couple months ago. i got to finish because we've got to pray. But I had been noticing, and, and some of you have noticed this too, the, the more you're drawn into Christ, the deeper you go with Him, it, it's, it's, it's the clothing of Him that then has an aroma and it has a fragrance and this and that. And, and how many of you notice that you walk in a room and people look at you? I've been noticing this. And, and I didn't think, you know, I'm getting uglier as I get older. I know it ain't me. But I'm noticing little kids are looking at me and they're like, it's like, what's that kid staring at? And the Lord reminds me, it's me. Oh, that's cool. And I look right back at him and just, just you know, believe in, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but because of your witness, begin walking in a room. Look, at, people are looking at you. People are staring at you because there is a clothing on you. There's a glory on you that they're seeing. And I believe in these days, it's going to be brighter and brighter because it's nasty out there. 
And as you're carrying Christ, dressed in Christ, man, people are looking at you and they're like going, they're taking like a longer look. It ain't because you're so sexy and cool. You can believe that. You don't need that. Right? Gravity will take care of all that. That'll last. That's fleeting, right? That won't last. But the more you get into Christ, man, I'm telling you, you begin to realize people want to talk to you. People are looking at you. People are, because they're seeing the garment that's beautiful. It's Jesus. And so I close with this, all right? This is what Jesus does for us. Ephesians 5.27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without any spots or wrinkles or anything like that, that she might be holy and without blemish. He says he washes his bride in his word so that he might present her without spot or wrinkle. So he's washing the garment on her. His spotless, he's perfect. His righteousness is right. But we eat and spill on it. And he washes. <laughs> and he's washing us. I like this. Without spot or wrinkle, permanent press, no blemish. Because he is washing us continually. Your identity is that you are a new creation in Christ dressed in a garment that is seamless. Don't let the enemy try and rip it and tear it and get at you. He can't. Don't you think that you don't have it, that you have to earn it. It's yours. It was yours the minute you were born again. And so you are clothed in Christ. Make it attractive. Because you know this identity, then I'm not going to play in the mud anymore. I got my best outfit on. I ain't going to play in the mud. I'm dressed in Christ. What do I want to look at that for? I'm dressed in Christ. Why do I want to say that? I don't use those words anymore. Why do I want to hang with those friends? They don't respect my clothes. <laughs> Your identity is to be dressed in Christ and to be a model for Jesus. Wear it. Wear it well. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, help us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Understand that you are making us clean and spotless. You put this robe on us when we were filthy, and by the time we get presented to the Father, we are without any spots or wrinkles. Wow, you do good work. You do good work. We're in the rinse cycle right now. Thank you, Jesus. Wash us, pour on us, cleanse us. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that just hit me. That just hit me, that the robe goes on us when we're filthy, and by the time he presents us to the Father, we're clean. Because that covering does all the transforming. Amen? Put that on the end of that CD, will you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, we've been having practice routines and praying together in threes and fours, and 
I don't know how that would work with this, so I'm just going to ask you, we're going to do it as a group collectively. Band, you can come, but I want to speak to you. I really want to break it. uh, Ben had uh, prayed against depression.